Self-Formation BU, the journey of your personal revelation. This is a podcast by Edna Scher, and today in episode seven, I have Michelle Masters from the US with me. She is an NLP and family constellation master. She has many things to tell us today, and I would actually like you to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your life. How did you become an NLP master? What is your story? Well, I had actually been looking for work that that had meaning for me for a while. I did all kinds of things. I mean, I painted houses in Maine. I painted scenery off Broadway. I taught environmental education. I was a manager for Mrs. Fields Cookies. Like I did all these different things, but none of them had what I was looking for. And then I had kind of stripped everything out of my life that wasn't working. So I I had just ended a relationship. I, I didn't really have a place to live at the time. And I was tired of all the work that kind of drained my soul. And uh, somebody put a flyer in my hand for this free seminar on uh, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, which did not sound very attractive, but I always am interested in learning something, especially for free. So I went, you know, I had a lot of emotional stuff from when I was younger. And I had done four years of therapy, which was helpful in a certain way in that it gave me, it was, the woman was a saint. That was lovely. And it really helped me to have some self-acceptance and understanding and a vocabulary for my emotions, but it didn't change things. And so when I went to this free seminar for NLP, they had us try out a few experiments in the little three-hour workshop and I could feel things change. For the first time ever, I could feel Mm -hmm. things change. And I thought, well, if they can do that in this little work, you know, free intro thing, what can they actually do? And so I didn't have the money for the course, but as so often happens when it's meant to be, it worked out. And so I got to take the course and uh, then I started taking their next level course and they had me already assisting them in the the first level course. Like Mm -hmm. I just, it was so natural for me. It felt more like I was remembering it than learning it. Mm -hmm. It just felt so familiar and so right. And so um, I learned it really quickly and I began teaching for them and taught for decades for them and began creating my own workshops as well. So it's been since 19, I've been teaching since 1995. So So. you're probably a bit older than you look very young. (laughs) 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 I'm not going to ask you how old you are. (laughs) It's impolite in America, I heard. Okay, well, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I've been doing this a while. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I think uh, I found it about as early as I could. I think any sooner and I just wouldn't have been emotionally mature enough okay. to do this work with other people. So I think almost the second I was ready, it showed up. So NLP was the first thing that you've done. And then from there you go went to right. family constellation. Right. And then in 1996, I uh, heard about Bert Hellinger's work, Family Constellations. And so I started reading his books and watching his videos, and I went to his workshops every time he was in the the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where I'm based. And then I took a facilitation class with him and Hunter Beaumont, and then also a class with Gabrielle Borcan. And at a certain point, it's like that work just clicked in. And it had been a piece that had been missing when I was doing NLP. There was always these some things that we couldn't get to shift. And this seemed like it handled the big, the biggest missing piece. 
And so ever since then, my work has always been a blend of both because they're both so incredibly useful and usually both are an issue. The NLP works really well on old subconscious beliefs and family patterns and associations and identity. It look, It's profound for that, for changing that. It's like rewriting mental software. Mm-hmm. The family constellation work is incredibly good for shifting these unconscious and generational loyalties and patterns. And so the, the combination of the two, and then I also studied some different quantum modalities like matrix energetics and avatar trainings and some other things who's all combined in a way to be able to create a whole you can't get change for everyone but it's astonishing how much change is available people don't realize how much is can change in their lives i also work with i don't work with nlp because i need to still study that (laughs) i'm trying a little bit here and there with Mm -hmm. what i learned from you But what I find very interesting, and I want to know from you, how do you see that family constellation? So you have, usually you have like someone who is, uh, how do you call it, substitute for... Representing. Representative, Uh yeah, exactly. And they tend then to have leg pain or whateverness or look to the one side. Do you then do NLP on the representative to figure out no not in a no. well not in a traditional constellation if i'm working one on one with somebody i'm always paying attention to both so i'm always looking at both the nlp part of it and also the family constellation part but if i'm just doing a family constellation that's a format where you know you have a group of people who volunteer to represent members of the person's family and when i work usually people don't know anything about the person they don't know anything about the family they don't even know usually who they're representing at first Mm-hmm. But somehow when they volunteer to become these representatives, for instance, I did a demonstration online recently, this woman who had a lot of anxiety and also really struggled with money. And so I was doing a demonstration of constellation work on online and she vol- she volunteered to be the, the demo subject and she, her family was Armenian and all four of her grandparents survived the massacres in Armenia in 19, they started in 1915. There were 2 million Armenians in the area around Turkey, and they killed about 1.5 million of them. So the the half million that survived, most of them went to the US. And so almost everyone in the US who is Armenian descent is descended from victims of that massacre. And so I had a representative for her, and I also had a representative for money, because I was curious to see what it would look like. And all this energy of like perpetration and violence showed up in the representative for money. And so all of that energy in her family's history had gotten projected onto money. And and I didn't tell them. They didn't know anything about the history. They didn't know her. They didn't know who they were representing. And yet it all showed up. And so it was a chance to to help clear up some of the the stuff that had been confused with money that had nothing to do with money. And also to allow her to let go of the pain of her family's past. Because her carrying it wasn't helping them, and it was just making the future harder than it, than it needed to be. Yeah, this is, I mean, I work when I do functional medicine, this is epigenetics, pure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have like the medical yeah. biochemical bio, um, epigenetics, and we've got the emotional yes. thing that we carry down the line. And once mm-hmm. we start to understand what is going on, we can also 
with help of NLP or whatever other methods, we can say like, okay, this is not my story. I can rewrite my yeah. own story and live my own life. Yeah. And when people let this stuff go quite often, the DNA shifts, like the stuff, the, the markers turn off and other markers turn on, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. currently just have a client, a new client. She, um, Her mom had endometriosis and she now developed after two kids just uh, beginning of this year, also endometriosis. And there are a lot of like similarities. And I said to her, look, this is not your story. This is your mom's story. And we're just like in the second session. So, yeah. um, but she starts to already realize, oh, wow. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. The anxiety that is not hers and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Really oh, that anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many people carry depression and anxiety that's not theirs. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I see that also on a daily basis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how did I meet you? I met you. You have delivered a wonderful. It was a two day workshop on money mindset. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And I actually use quite a lot of things of your course in oh. my clients. So I really like it. I added oh, a few things of myself. Of course. Obviously. Yeah. And something that I realized back then is money is not money. Money is energy, right? Mm-hmm. What is, yeah, it's actually uh, the energy of blessings. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the energy of mindsets and represents a lot of, if I may say so, mindfucks of, uh, of family belief systems, right? A lot. Yeah, a lot of old beliefs and fears and, and stuff gets projected onto money. That's actually not about money, but it gets projected. All, all people's fears of not enough or well-being or their fears about their worth or power or control, all this stuff gets projected onto money, which... Money is kind of like the energy of sunshine. It's not a a, a malevolent energy. You know, mm-hmm. it's a blessing energy. But because of all these beliefs about not enough and no control, uh, people uh, people get a little crazy around their security, their well being, and that's all gotten associated with money. So finding out, like, you know, what some of the beliefs are. You know, but mo- most common belief I hear: you have to work hard to make money. So mm-hmm. not true. It is so not true. And that you have to struggle, you have to sacrifice, that there's not enough for everybody. These are some awesome, very common beliefs that are not true. But as long as they are running, they, they affect our experience. And so if you have a belief you have to work hard to make money, then you will have to work hard to make money, right? Yeah. Not because it's true, but because that belief will assert itself. How did you get to this whole money mindset <laughs> business? <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of ironic because when the executive director of NLP Marin, where I was teaching, asked me if I would be willing to create a two-day workshop around money. And I was so excited to be asked to create a workshop that I said yes before I thought about it. And then I realized I know nothing about money because I didn't, I had no interest in it. And, um, and I thought, well, I got to learn a lot. And I thought there's no way to learn enough to be able to do a money workshop. And I would just be using everybody else's mindset anyway. So what I did was I decided to play to my strengths because what I did know was about change because that's what we were teaching. That's what I was doing with people was change. And so I took some of the the really adaptable and useful change techniques that we were teaching and I applied them all to the context of money. So I created two days of all these processes to shift beliefs and family patterns and associations around money and then send people off to see what happened. And so we did that and we started, you know, in the weeks, months after we started getting reports of things getting better for people, you know, new money, unexpected money, raises, promotions, et cetera. And then I went to a matrix energetics workshop, which is a quantum way of working. And so then I started adding that into the money magic class. And then people started getting changes before the workshop, like they'd register for the workshop and get 
an unexpected $2,000 or $10,000 or a new raise or a new project. Like it happens to at least a third, if not a half of the people, every time I teach money magic, I'll Mm -hmm. say, how many of you got unexpected money since you registered? Usually at least a third, if not a half raise their hand. And then by the time that the thing is over, others will come up and say, I just realized, no, I did get money after mm-hmm. I registered. I just, it's, it is. Um, so that's when it got really fun. Like we were starting to shift things on both in the people's neurology and also kind of quantumly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about this quantum healing, the matrix? How does that work? Like, or what is the... Well, um... I mean, it's it was the creation of Richard Bartlett. And I went to, I learned from him and Melissa Joy. The interesting thing about working quantumly is especially in the West, we always want to do things. We always think we need to do things. And the thing about quantum shifts is you don't, it's doing without doing. But one of the things that Richard Bartlett came up with was a way to do without doing. So he, I don't want to teach his stuff, but I use his stuff all the time. So ways of when, when we experience something, something that we experience has been wave functions have been collapsed into being. Mm -hmm. So the way that something becomes manifest is, is a collapse of wave functions into collapse. Sounds like it goes away, but it's actually a collapsing of wave functions that brings things into existence. And so this was a way to uncollapse. There were many ways to uncollapse some of the things that were already informed so that they cease to exist and also to have other things come in. There was ways of working vibrationally, of working with different frequencies, in a certain sense, working, accessing portals. But that's that's stuff that I do on behalf of the class. I don't have the, the class do it. But it's it's now it's like it's so much part of the field of the money magic class that as soon as you register, you enter in for the class, you enter the field of the class, and that's how things can start to shift. Um, can I also ask you about NLP a bit for people who are listening um, to uh-huh. my podcast? There, it's mainly my clients and uh-huh. so on. NLP. That's we hear that in Europe, in Switzerland, we hear that a lot. Like, oh, NLP had done a course to sell something, or yes. Or things like, ah, NLP, that's when you look to the right uh, top Mm. or so, then you're lying. Yes, yes. All these misconceptions, yes. Exactly. Can you elaborate a little bit more about that? Well, NLP was the collective brainchild of a bunch of people in Santa Cruz in the 70s. And what they did was they noticed there were some people in every field that that had the same training as everybody else, but did better. Mm -hmm. And so they were curious, like... What made those people better? Like they studied therapists, they studied teachers, they studied salespeople, they studied um, medical, like healers to, to try and, and, and they, they looked at everything they did and didn't do, the people who were really good to see what they were doing, see if they could figure out what they were doing that was different from what everybody else was doing that they usually weren't even aware of. Mm-hmm. And so they kept distilling it down and distilling it down. And they found some things that they could replicate. So yes, there was there are some ways that they discovered that really good performers would often establish rapport with people and make people feel safe. And then a lot of people took that and, and packaged it as sales training, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was originally like for a therapist and people who wanted to create safety, because to change things for people, the first thing you have to do is, is get them okay. to feel safe, right? Yeah. Because as long as the safety system, the security systems are up, it's much harder to do anything for them. And then there were other things they discovered, uh, like from Milton Erickson, who was the father of medical hypnosis, who got 
you know, mm -hmm. phenomenal changes for people. And Virginia Satir and Fritz Perls, these were famous therapists who were actually getting changes for their clients. Mm -hmm. And some of it was how they were asking questions, the kind of questions they were asking. And some were like ways that they were utilizing without knowing it the human brain's ability to make associations in a way to change the old software that's running. Because mm -hmm. here's here's where most people get stuck is the stuff that has us stuck is usually in place between ages three to six. Like it's really old software. It's basically software. And unlike your brain, your phone, your brain is not designed to update itself. So most of us have software that's still running from when we were three to six years old. And it's running in a different part of a brain. The from the adult brain that wants to change things. And so usually it's this adult brain, the cortex that wants to go to a workshop and decide, I want to believe something else. Well, that's lovely, but that's not the part of the brain where the stuff that is stuck is. Mm. And so, and then they'll say, well, you know, I worked on this belief, but nothing shifted. And it's like, that's like saying, if there's a crack in the foundation of a 30 story building, that's like saying, well, I worked on the 30th floor, but this, there's this, still this crack in the foundation. I don't yeah. understand. And so for me, the tools are most properly used to allow people to feel safe, to discover what they want, to get clear on what they want, because that clarity is amazing. And mm -hmm. that is one of the things NLP noticed that really good therapists were asking these questions that didn't just focus on what was wrong, but like, what would you like and what, yeah. what will having that do for you? And then there were these modalities for discovering the old wiring, where it was stored, how it was stored in the brain, and then being able to rewrite that or revise that, which pr before that people had to like die and get reborn to get a whole new set of beliefs, right? Yeah. Which takes a long time. Yeah. I have actually a very remarkable client. She started with me three or four months ago. Uh -huh. uh, since she's 12, she's like stamped as a, a pain patient, mm. endometriosis and so on. I, mm. I work with mainly with endometriosis clients and infertility. And for me, it's like clear, someone with endometriosis is usually a trauma from the childhood. Her father was alcoholic, a lot of unhappiness. And he, and I always, when I do the timeline with my clients, I always ask them before that, I say like, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve? And usually they even take like the word pain they take into the wish of what it should not be pain free. So like, oh, and how would that feel if you would be pain free? Mm -hmm. Because then, otherwise, she's just stuck in this. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm a pain patient. I always take ibuprofen. I will always uh -huh. whateverness. And also in the medical symptom questionnaire, she scored like a, over a hundred points. Three weeks later, a smile on her face, no more pain whatsoever. Wow. Uh, wow. After one month reduction of the medical symptom questionnaire to 20 wow. from uh, over 100. And now she comes like once a month for. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Things like that are really so amazing. And I mean, yeah. with NLP, yeah. I could probably achieve more, but it's like just getting them out of the out of their trauma. Yeah. It's just amazing. Or revising the patterning that has yeah. them hold on to the trauma. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now she can sit with her father back in the in the same room. Wow. But she couldn't do that before. She was like trying to escape yeah. all the time. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Very, very nice development. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask is like, did you personally have any problems uh, or problems, you know, an inverted comma problems with wow. with your money mindset or with um, energy money? Well, I had no interest in it. And so one of the things that happened is when I created the workshop, I tried everything out on me first. I noticed, oh, there's some issues with my relationship to money. 
I saw how my dad did it and I really didn't want to do it that way. So I just had had no relationship with it. But when I, I did all this, the the stuff on me to try it out before I taught the first class, the next year, uh, when it was time to teach it again, I realized, you know what? It feels like I've made more money. And I went and looked and my income was up like 66% consistently. The more I've done the work, actually, the better and the more I've taught it, the the better and better it's come. And I really now, I appreciate money. Like I I appreciate the blessing it is. I was never afraid of not having enough. I know that's a lot for people. That's true for a lot of people. I was never afraid of that. And I'm still not. But it it just comes in these lovely ways now, like in magical ways. I don't have mm-hmm. to work more to make more. And I can really appreciate the blessing that it is. It's one of the ways the universe wants to bless us. And when I came to NLP, probably the biggest emotional blocks that I had were around my sense of worth. I had very little sense of worth outside of achievement. As I was learning the material and we were practicing on each other and things started to shift. And I also had about 10 sessions, private sessions with the, the my teacher mm-hmm. over the first year at least. And then less often after that. But a whole lot of stuff got shifted for me around that that sense of worth. And that made everything easier. So you mentioned you had some personal issues also in your family um, and the sense of worth and so on. Did it only shift inside of you, like how you saw yourself in a new in new eyes? Or did you also approach your family or father or whatever your story was in a different way? Well, he he died within three years of me starting. But one thing that did happen. I started in 94, I think it was 95 or 96. So about a year before he died, I went back to visit him and my half-brother. And my dad at that point was 60 years old. He had had a real temper uh, when I was growing up, especially. like. So when I was there, he was 60. I don't know what set him off, but he went into that like, you know, yelling, uh, you know, stomping around the house and yelling. And it was the first time in my life I didn't freeze because before that, you know, anytime I heard like he went into that, I would completely freeze like a two-year-old child. And so he started doing that. And I watched everybody else in the house freeze, his wife, his son, her, her kids. And for the first time ever, I didn't. And I remember thinking, God, he's being such a baby. He was like a two-year-old in a 60-year-old body. Mm-hmm. And I knew enough because I was, I was actually, it was the first adult response I had ever had. I knew enough to not confront him because there's no point in confronting a toddler, right? Yeah. There was no adult present to, to actually talk to, but at least for me, it was the first time when I wasn't terrified and I had an adult response, which is, oh my God, he's being an absolute, he's having a temper tantrum. And that Terrible was such a better thing. response, right? Then, oh my yeah. God, what did I do? Don't move. Don't breathe. Don't, don't poke the bear, you know? So much better. May I ask if he was violent? Just Not entrance. when I was older. He told me himself. I, he he had two biological children, me and, and my half-brother. And he told me that when I had known about the thing that happened when I was two, the violence that happened when I was two, because he had told me, my mother had told me, you know, everybody had told me. He told me himself that when both his kids were twos, he had a meltdown. So it must have happened with my brother as well. And just the fact that he said that lets me know that something must have happened to him when, when he, he was two, because he, he completely lost it with both of his kids when they were two. 
So I'm guessing your parents divorced. Well, they divorced the first time when I was about two. And then the second time when I, for good, because they got remarried um, uh, when I was oh, 13. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They okay. tried it twice. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So for people who are struggling um, out there, what do you recommend or what do you say to them? Well, the things that have you stuck are, it's probably not because you're lazy. It's probably not because you're broken. It's probably not because you're stupid. You've got old patterning, either old family patterning or old belief structures that are in the way. It really is like old software. And yelling at yourself is like yelling at your computer when you don't like the software. Like it's mm -hmm. not going to change the software, right? And trying to use a bunch of willpower to change your computer software also doesn't work, right? Trying to hold your computer software accountable. I thought we agreed you would run differently. Mm -hmm. Like the thing that changes it is to change the software. And when you do that, then you don't have to keep remembering to change the software. Once you rewrite it, it's different. That's the thing. So um, if people are stuck, it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's not because you're broken and you've just got old patterning. And there are many ways that patterning can be shifted that can make life so much easier, so much better, so much more happy and free and joyful. It doesn't have to stay hard. Very nicely said. I must say that I've had a very interesting session, a private session with you. That was three years, two years, three years ago. Long, long time, long yeah, time yeah. ago. And it did shift a lot of things. And I definitely recommend um, to anyone who is listening, if you need, if I'm not enough, then there is <laughs> Michelle Masters and she gives courses. Yeah, you're giving master classes online. Yes, yes. Online money magic is, is one of the more popular ones. It's a way to change a whole bunch of money beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's coming up in September. And that's uh, like live online, right? It's not uh, recorded. There's live group Zoom calls where people can ask questions and get help. And then there's recorded material that they can do to change stuff. They can repeat it and do it as much as they want for up to six months. Okay. But then if, if they get stuck, they can come back to the group calls and say, I can't, you know, this is going on. I don't know what's going on. And I can, we can actually do something right there on the call. Mm -hmm. So without the live interaction, people don't get nearly as much change. So that's why I do this blend of the recorded stuff and then the live Zoom calls with the group. Perfect. So you will send me a photo and all your links in the small bio about yourself. Okay. And it will be below the podcast. So please feel free oh, to you. contact you for money blessing, right? Oh, thank you. And it was lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know that you're very busy. And oh, also so the time change is a bit challenging, right? But thank you so no, much. this part's easy. <laughs> okay. yeah. Thank you, Edna. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. And now I know that I could change. Change my life I could resolve